Cole Shack's Loot Podcast, Episode 8, Season 1, The Vampire. Hello everyone once again. This is our Cole Shack Fan Podcast. Welcome to the loop. Cole Shack, where do you think you're going? I'm going out. I can't stand I'm going to see what's around the loop. What's happening around here is a resembling column, not anything out of the loop. Cole Shack, come back here! Chicago? All right. I got to tell you, the last time I was in the loop, there was... Oh, hey, listen. You know what we're going to do? You and I'll sit down and have a long chat, okay? Sure. We'll rap about chai. I don't trust you, Coltec. You double-cross your own fairy godmother for a story. All right, everybody. Thank you so much, Bradley, for producing this and uh, getting all those bumpers and everything together. That was take seven, everybody. No, <laughs> not really. That was probably take three or so. But um, my name is Robert, and my co-host is Bradley. Bradley, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. You you make me feel like uh, I think you're the Paul McCartney here. He used to take like 70 takes to get a. I think I think they did like 60 takes on Maxwell Silver Hammer. Whoever the heck cares about the 70 takes on that but uh, man i'm doing awesome my wife made me some blackberry cobbler this afternoon homemade every bit of it so that that was great uh i got sunburn at that braves game but they ended up winning with a walk off so that was a blast of nice. best best baseball game i've ever been to um and this weekend we're heading to dallas to see her grandparents so man just uh just fun all around sounds like it sounds like it have you watched any television movies or listened to any music lately that made an impression on you and and you uh want to talk about it all man if you guys out there aren't watching loki my god and i know i've i've talked about this and i talked about me wanting tom hiddleston to play cole shack and i <laughs> and i posted something about it today while we're recording but but dang it this show is so good i love tom hiddleston i love this show and and usually I'm not the guy to be invested in the in you know I'll, I'll enjoy the Avengers movies and stuff and I'll, I'll watch every single one of them. Man, these, I'm invested in these shows. Man, I loved I loved the uh, the Scarlet Witch one, uh, WandaVision, loved it, uh, and I've loved this one. I really love Loki. It's got an X Files vibe to it. Like like there's a lot of X Files ishness to it. I don't know if that makes sense, cool. but it's real cool. cool. Well, you, I've, I've been watching that too. But really? um, I watched something else um, earlier today that that really makes me kind of want to sing a little bit. So it, it's it kind of goes like, what you meant to say is that you're welcome for putting the wind in the sea. What you meant to say is that the rock sings in a movie oh, called Moana gosh. that Bradley won't see for his wife. Did you did you did you put this segment in here just to set this up? No, I really didn't. I've always wanted to do this. I wanted to do this two years ago that we would talk about oh stuff that we want. 
but it just hit me. It's like, oh, well, I watched that. But no, um, I've I've been watching, and we, we both have been watching the the show Evil that we will eventually mm-hmm. get something out about. And I'm having a ton of fun putting together this YouTube video, but it's just taking a long time to do it. And uh, Evil's been fun to watch. Uh, definitely Loki's been really fun to watch. And um, I I I think I told you this before, but I've now watched I think probably close to 16 or 17 episodes of season one of Dark Shadows. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A chip off the old block. So yeah. we're getting a step closer to that Dark Shadows podcast. It's never going to happen. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'll see. I don't think you understand. I like it. I liked it when I was a kid. I had the games. I had the I had the oh. glow in the dark teeth. I had the glow in the dark skeleton. Um, it was it was great. There was even a character in there I believe that plays a werewolf. Right? Is isn't his yeah. name Quentin? Yes, man. Yeah. See, I remember all of that. I do not want to podcast about it. There's well, a difference between liking a show and being willing to podcast about it. I I bequeathed you, <laughs> not bequeathed, because hopefully I don't die. But I, I, you have my blessing. Do whatever podcast you want about Dark Shadow. It doesn't have to be with me. Maybe. I'm just going to throw this out there. there there's a Shack fan that I have uh, you know, been talking to. And I don't know what, what sort of Dark Shadows possibility he has. But there may be a Shack fan out there that could actually do a Dark Shadows podcast with you. Is it the same guy? There's a guy on Twitter that I met. His name is Bar- He I met him through the uh, Entering the Fifth Dimension podcast. Really? Uh, Who is it? Barnab- Barnabas. I think he goes by uh, <laughs> a kayfabe name, which kayfabe is wrestling by term. Barnabas. Okay, yeah. Well, on sense. the on the Twitter, on the Twitter. Uh, okay. But well, he he, he posts. Like but he also he posts about dark shadows and stuff. But he also po- posts about uh, Paul McCartney and all that. So I'm like, man, this Ooh. guy's right up my my alley, you know. So I'll, yeah. I'll go around and like his stuff every now and then. But okay. Yeah, Daryl actually hooked me up with him and. Uh, so and it's been cool talking to you. Dig it. Well, that's great, man. No, I, I, I for a second I thought like this will finally be the way that I can um, Facebook friend request your wife is that I'll, I'll sing her some songs <laughs> from from Moana and and just sort of put you behind the eight ball. And and guess what, Bradley, you What's would love that? this movie. <laughs> it's it's really really good. It okay. is. I can imagine you watching this with your kid and your wife. And having a blast. And, you know, The Rock sings it to his daughter. I watched a YouTube video about that today. And she doesn't, and she's really young in the video. Yeah. But she doesn't really believe that he's the one who's singing um, as the character Maui. And uh, it's really cute. So, anyway, there you go. There we go. Uh, Maybe we can save that from the Moana podcast, but you know something I have been watching. <laughs> something I have been watching is Cole Shack the Night Stalker. I have uh, this is and and this train keeps rolling here, and we'll, we're going to talk about my thoughts on it today. But uh, first, where do you want to start? Well, I, I'm going to back up for a second. I feel like you've gone to the the school of great segues that is is hosted by um, Daryl Darnell. I think he, he always rolls back into a segue on that. And you're doing a good job. So congrats to that. Well, but yeah, let's, well, yeah. I think the, the next thing that we've got on here would be actually to uh, get into your um, news segment that you've got. And you've got some, I think we've got a bumper for that. And I've got some information about upcoming interview. And you've got some information about an upcoming interview. 
God, How'd you well, like to do that? Well, let's roll with it. Now, that is news, Vincenzo. News. And we are a news paper. We are supposed to print news, not suppress it. Excellent. Yeah, so we're going to have um, uh, tomorrow, we're going to interview the the author of the uh, and creator of Kolshak, Jeff Rice's son, James. And I've already had a, a good lengthy conversation with him, and we've texted each other back and forth a number of times. And I think he's a, a very interesting guy, and I really like um, his understanding of this genre. And really, it's kind of almost independent of his dad. And it's really neat to know where he comes from um, and how what his influences are. And uh, there may even be some inf- information that he'll be able to share uh, from his mom and, and some of the connections that she's had in, in Hollywood and other things. So um, so I, I think that's going to be a, a really fun interview. And um, so that's what I've got cooking. Now, I think you've got a couple more things cooking. Oh, yeah. And, and back to that part, if we can talk about that, about his mom. My jaw hit the floor when I heard that. Hit I, the floor. Well, and I again, don't, I don't know what part she'll share or he'll share of hit, that information. Hit the floor. Like this is like earth shat. Like you guys don't understand. This is earth shattering stuff. But gosh, <laughs> well, I hope we can talk about it. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. But, you know, talking about interviews, uh, part two of Rich Haddam, hopefully by the time you're listening to this podcast, is already out. It should be dropping Friday, which is we're recording this Thursday, which tonight at midnight it should be dropping. So hopefully you've got that in your feed already. You've already listened to that. And uh, another interview we have cooking up, Johnny Depp. I want Johnny Depp, and I've already talked to Robert about it. I found a list of six different addresses. I found, uh, I found, let's see, addresses. I found a, two phone numbers. I found a telegraph from Western Union. I, I don't know if it works. Uh, that one seems a little dated. But some, <laughs> somehow, we, I want to get in touch with Johnny Depp. I know you listen to this podcast. I know it. I know you are listening to this podcast. So, Johnny, we, we nothing. We can send all the questions ahead of time, whatever. Uh, you know, whatever makes you feel best, you know, we'll, we'll do it. We you know, want you on the podcast. He's from, he's from Owensboro, Kentucky. And that's, uh, you know, a, 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 a good piece of, of land away from me. But I'm pretty sure that one of my uh, mom's cousins was either the principal or one of his teachers at his high school. Now, they have no connection to him whatsoever. But uh, I haven't asked him yet, though. So I wonder, maybe there's a maybe there's a chance of a little hookup in there. But had you known that about him, that he was a Kentucky boy? No, uh, the, I think that I mean I, I saw what was it the movie? Uh, what is he eating Gilbert grapes? I remember that one mm-hmm. being. I don't know where if it. I don't know where that was set at, but it always seemed like kind of set in Kentucky. Kind of set in the country, but yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, that that's the long shot of everything. Um, but we do have two, and then we also have uh. He's a he's a screenwriter uh, and he's a, he's a producer, a comic writer now. Uh, Rodney Barnes coming up. We've got that locked in. Um, he was a writer on some successful shows like The Boondocks. He's written uh, for Captain Falcon, which is a huge Marvel thing now. Just had its own show. Uh, he wrote for the comic there. He wrote about Lando Calrissian, the the comic book, you know, the famous Star Wars character. Um, and he's doing Philadelphia now, which actually he has some Cole Shack things in there, which that's how I found him. Um, but yeah, so, uh, we, we are going to interview him 
the 18th, so that'll be a week from today. Is that right? right? No, it'll be like two weeks, won't it? It'll be like a week and a half, something like that. Around but the we're corner. we're gonna. But anyway, enough enough of that droning on. But yeah, we're gonna interview him. So we've got a lot of things lined up down the coal shack pipeline loop, whatever you want to say. Um, but it's it's all there. And uh, well, I guess there's nowhere else to go. But uh, unless Robert has anything, but to the TV guide segment of the week. That is where I want to go. This week, TV Guide's cover story profiles Jimmy Walker of Good Times. Good reading, TV Guide. Ah, I always love those. Um, so this week, of course, is October 4th, 1974, when this released. Um, I might should have put this in the notes so I didn't have to scramble for it right now, but uh, uh, okay. I'm sorry about that, uh, ladies and gents. Oh, okay. Oh man, I'm sorry, Robert. I lost my page. Okay. I'll cut all this. I'll cut all this out. Jesus, Jesus. That's 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 why God created editing. Oh my gosh. Well, if I can even find the damn page I had pulled up earlier. Jesus Christ. Hold on. Well, we may not have a TV Guide segment of the week if this is not going to work. Well, you may just have to find it. Stick, stick it back in there. It's okay. Maybe so. Ah, damn. Oh, here's the website I used. Uh, okay. October 4th. Oh, man. Serious yawns. All right, the TV Guide segment of the week that I have had ready this whole time and uh, it has have not delayed the podcast trying to find. <laughs> um, <laughs> so on CBS, of course, we've talked about this before, Planet of the Apes, the show, The Good Seeds, uh, the movie Bullet was at 9 o'clock and it lasted the rest of the afternoon, 1968's Bullet. ABC had Kodiak, The Last Enemy. At 8.30 was the $6 million man, the Palmyra Escort. 9.30, Texas Wheelers, the Twister. And, of course, 10 o'clock, you had Cole Shack, the Night Stalker with the Vampire. And on NBC at 8, Sanford and Sons, Grady and His Lady. Chico and the Man at 8.30, New Suit. Rockford Files, Exit Prentice Car at 9. And 10 o'clock, going head-to-head with our favorite show was Policewoman 7-Eleven. Um... So I'm guessing you're still watching Cole Shack in that. In that, are you gonna watch Bullet? The end of Bullet. Oh, if I if I had to choose anything, honestly, I, I would watch Bullet. Really? Um, are you familiar with Bullet at all? No, I'm not. I'm not uh, familiar so with Bullet. So it's, it's that that goes down as Steve McQueen. Oh it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It goes down as one of the best, like first legit car chases uh, that was filmed. And uh, it is kind of like a historic uh, car chase that's in that. I just remember that as a kid. But um, Steve McQueen, oh, man, that oh, guy yeah. was just amazing. Have, yeah. you know, have you seen him in The Great Escape? I have when, seen when he's, 
bouncing yeah. the, the the ball against the wall every time he tries yes. to escape and yeah. jumping over the fences with the motorcycle. Oh man, such a great movie. It is. Well, there we go. Well, I, I appreciate you doing that, and um, it's it's uh, nice that we didn't have uh, Jimmy Walker cussing at the end or whatever that was <laughs> the other time. <laughs> Oh, am I never going to live that that one time? That was hilarious, man. <laughs> it's just like, what are you doing? Well, this is an explicit podcast now. <laughs> and nobody Dag- nobody ever hear because that, that yeah, audio is long gone. Right. Long gone. Right, right. Okay. Well, I guess we ought to talk about the cast a little bit. And if yeah. you want me to, I can handle some of these main folks if I can just focus my my vision on them all. All right, so we got Darren McGavin as Carl Kolshak, Simon Oakland as Tony Vincenzo, William Daniels as Police Lieutenant Matteo, Suzanne Charney as Catherine Rollins, John Duchette as Deputy Sample, Jan Murray as Ichabod Grace, might even been Jan Murray, I think it's just Jan, Larry Storch as the Swede, Kathleen Nolan as Faye Kruger, Milt Kamen as Gingrich, Jack Grenage, or Greenwich, as Ron Updike, and Whitfield as a call girl. Amy Archard as man, oh, excuse me, Army Archard as man. That sounds a little better. Selma Archard as woman. Noelle D'Souza as Chandra. And Bill Baldwin as the first reporter. And for some uncredited cast this week, we have Alice Bax as, uh, Elena Munoz. I would say Elena Munoz. Elena Munoz. Tony Epper as Andrew Garth. Catherine Jansen as a plane passenger. Stuart Nisbet as hotel manager. Murray Pollock as reporter. It's going to be Murray Pollock. Because Pollock, that's that's very offensive, ain't it? (laughs) Yes, completely. Let's just do that one again. All right. Is it Pollock? Is that what you said? Pollock. Yeah, like like Sidney yeah. Pollock. Murray Pollock as reporter. Tony Regan. Is that Regan or Reagan? That I have no idea. It could be either. Tony Regan as a reporter. Hunter Von Leer as a, the blonde football player. And Ted Watt as Hugo Maltz. This is directed by Don Wise. Produced by Cy Shermick. Written by David Chase and Bill Stratton. And of course, as always, this is based on the novel by Jeff Ross. And for this segment of the week, no, um, the other works by the cast and crew. William Daniels was Kid and Night Rider. He was also in the American Revolution. And he was Mr. Feeney in Boy Meets World, which that's what I knew him from. As soon as I saw him, I thought, dang, that's Mr. Feeney. But um, John Doucette was in the 49 Batman and Robin, The Reign of Terror which was the uh, Robespierre uh, French Revolution drama, Strangers on a Train, Julius Caesar, Cleopatra, Alexander the Great, a lot of American history stuff, or not, uh, world history stuff, The Time Tunnel, True Grit, and Patton. Laren Strock was a voice actor in Jack Frost, uh, underdog. He had multiple roles in the Pink Panther, including the English narrator, and the famous painter from, I mean, that's just an epic uh, an epic little short there. He was the Joker in the Batman Superman Power Hour, and in the and he was also the Joker in the new Scooby Doo movies, which is what me and my wife watched when we we gave when she gave birth to our first son. 
Uh, we had the DVD of that in the hospital, so that's cool. The Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner show, The Hamburglar. He was one of the main Ghostbusters. No, not those Ghostbusters, as well as Herbert and Garfield, and he was in the Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo. And like I said, it always comes back to Scooby-Doo there. <laughs> <laughs> and Whitfield was in Peter Pan, White Christmas, and The Outsider with Darren McGavin. Army Orchard was in the 66 Batman, Beneath, Escape From, and the original Planet of the Apes, and the Mod Squad, which starred Twin Peaks' Peggy Lipton. Selma Orchard, oh. Selma Orchard was in Charmed, the 85 Alice in Wonderland, Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, and Scrooged. Put that one in there just for you. Bill Murray. Yeah. Bill, you know, dang, I, okay, hopefully the, the thrift store still has it, but I didn't get it. They had a Bill Murray shirt, and I should have got it for you. Ooh. I'm going to have to go back tomorrow and see if they got it. Bill Baldwin was in the 48, The Vicious Circle, Abbott and Costello Go to Mars. Abbott and Costello Go to Mars. Revenge of the Creature, Beginning of the End, The Addams Family, Rosemary's Baby, and Rocky 1, 2, and 3. He did a lot, and he was an announcer in a lot of those. Um, Alice Bax was in The Outsider, Snowball Express, The Cat from Outer Space, which sounds interesting, and Project UFO. Tony Epper did the stunts for the Planet of the Apes movies, Roadhouse, Lethal Weapon 2 and 3, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, and he was an actor in the 66 Batman, Buck Rogers, the 25th Century, uh, Rich Adams, favorite the A-Team, Alien from L.A., National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Dick Tracy, and Tales from the Crypt, where he was a bartender. Stuart Nisbet was the surgeon in the Twilight Zone episode in praise of Pip. The Invaders, The Outsiders, two night gallery episodes, and they came from outer space. Murray Pollock was in Cult of the Cobra, Earth vs. the Flying Saucers. A lot of Elvis movies, uh, Jailhouse Ross, King Creole, G.I. Blues, Viva Las Vegas, Mike Hammer, he was in that with uh, Darren McGavin. He was in five episodes of The Twilight Zone, My Favorite Martian. 60, he was in the 66 Batman series and the uh, prequel movie and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Tony Reagan was an extra in The Twilight Zone, Young Frankenstein, and Airplane. Hunter, Van, Hunter Von Leer was in the night, the night Gallery, History of the World Part 1, and Halloween 2. Ted White did the stunts for Escape from New York, Roadhouse, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Wild Wild West, the the Will Smith movie, and a couple of Fast and Furious movies, and he was an actor in Demonoid, History of the World Part 1, Tron, The X-Files, and he's probably most famous for playing Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th, The Final Chapter, and Katherine Jansen was in Chamber of Horrors, A Taste of Evil, Blazing Saddles, Godfather Part 2, Young Frankenstein, and Ghostbusters. No, no, wait. Yeah, that, that Ghostbusters. She, she was in that Ghostbusters. So that is your uh, notable cast of the week, Extra Works. When you say that Ghostbusters, you don't mean, you do mean the Ghostbusters. Yeah. That was Dan Aykroyd. And, but yeah. you're, saying, you're saying there was another Ghostbusters, though, originally in that, right? There was this. I, when, Clarify when I play, that for me. When I play my bumpers, everybody will know. Oh, so you're going to play I, those later. Okay. Yeah, I just I plug those in. Um, the, you know, the one thing that I wanted to mention, I, I did, um, take a look at the, uh, 25th anniversary, uh, tribute book that, um, DeWitziak did for, uh, the Night Stalker and the, the director uh, that we had in this Don Weiss or might've been Don Weiss. Um, you know, Mark points out that this was his first of four episodes um, that he directed, and I'm guessing four within the the Night Stalker, 
And but it's interesting to see though that he had done um, an episode of Planet of the Apes, which you know we mm-hmm. trace to uh, Rod Serling, and and we got some other people in there that are also in Planet of the Apes. And um, the one that I thought, oh man, I've already lost where I wanted to make my point on this. Oh, Dobie Gillis. So he did one of the affairs of Dobie Gillis. And Bradley, I don't know if you're familiar with Dobie Gillis, but it was a uh, black and white TV show where its main character was the the um, main character was Dobie Gillis, but um, it also had uh, Gilligan in it. And um, the actor Bob Denver, I believe, was Gilligan's name, um, who mm-hmm. uh, played in that too. And he played actually a beatnik, um, Bob Denver. Really? Yeah, played, played an absolute beatnik. It was really neat. And Dobie had this way of kind of like breaking the fourth wall and always talking to the um, audience. And Dobie plays, uh, well, whoever that actor is, sorry, I don't remember his name. He is in a future episode of, of the Night Stalker with McGavin and plays a policeman. And oh. uh, so anyway, um, I just wanted to point that out too. So Gilligan, little buddy. Anyway, there we go with that. Well, thank you for that addendum to my little segment there. Well, uh, I guess this leads us to the story summary. By Carl, right? Yeah, so I'll play that right now. I don't have it. I gotta. (laughs) That was amazing, Bradley. That's a great summary. It's, I mean, Carl. Nobody reads that better than Carl. No, that was probably one of the best ones I've heard. You know, got guys. Full disclosure, I didn't play it because I'm not prepared. We're just ad libbing, but you'll eventually get to hear it. Now we're gonna play. Um, my uh, actual summary of the show. And I don't think, do we have a bumper for that one? I'm, I'm lost. That's not where we have the, no, that's not for summary. We just use Carl's thing. Okay, so here we go. This time we see Carl pay off an old debt to the Swede, an old Vegas pal who gives him a tip. Just so happens Tony sends Carl to Hollywood for a young transcendental meditation guru story that Carl blows off and dumps on a real estate agent he meets there. She can't write worth a darn, but Carl doesn't care because he wants to follow up on what appears to be vampire killings. At one point, he gets right in the thick of the action with the vampire, but like normal, he looks like the guilty party and the police don't believe him and want to run him out of town. Our man Carl doesn't care, and he gets lucky when the real estate agent helps him search the home sales market, and they find the female vampire this time, actually one of Yano's scores and his victims from the past, a prostitute. Still able to get hired to turn tricks somehow, but not for long, because he is able to defeat her in a fiery blaze. Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. It you didn't was, know that she was part of scores of these people? Did I miss that in the movie? Yeah. What? So she, it, there, there is a link to her because she is found in Vegas when she no, comes I, out of the dirt. I got, I thought yeah. that, but I didn't, I didn't, I thought, wow, that what a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a nice gosh. little winky dink. And this time, I don't, I don't remember what part of it. Um, they they talk about it in the TV episode, 
But yes, it, it is heavily implied, if not even said, that this is one of scores in these victims that now she would have had to have been in the ground for like three years because I think yeah. they're there. I mean, he makes some sort of note about how long it's been since he's been back to Vegas. Right. And I think he says something about it being almost three years or that she was gone for three years, something like that. Yeah. So there's no reference. Cause I paid attention. I was mm-hmm. like, does he reference the other vampire? Yeah. Never I'll, says it. I'll, I'll check into it again, but yeah, I'm, 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 very confident that is the case. No, and, I don't doubt you. I don't yeah. doubt you. Yeah. I'm just saying that he didn't, because I thought the same thing. I thought, Oh, that's, you know, what a coincidence. Right. Right. And, and, <sighs> and so, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's anybody that wants to call him with some feedback and tell us um, more about that and, and what you understand from it. Um, we are more than happy to hear from you or, or read from you. And um, I don't know, Bradley, would this be the part where we want to just briefly mention to people how they can reach us here at the, at the beginning of things, so to speak, even though we've been going on for nearly a half an hour before even talking about the show? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I got that information right here. If you want to fo- if you want to follow us, you can go at Colshack Sloop. We'll get stuff there. Uh, you know, you can send us an email, colshacksloop at gmail.com. Uh, you can also... And we get an Instagram at Colshack Sloop, Twitch at Colshack Sloop, uh, search Colshack Sloop on YouTube. You can get us there. But if you want to contact us directly, you can use the Gmail or you can use the phone number, which is 662-374-0778. And uh, that's why you can contact us. Send us a message. We want to hear your audio. I love reading emails, but I want to hear some audio. I hate reading. Yeah, baby. Come on. Let's hear that audio. <laughs> Fittingly, I I muted myself. <laughs> you couldn't hear me saying that. I thought my I thought I'd be messed up again. But we we are professional podcasters. Yeah. <laughs> All that being said, uh, well, let's get on to the episode discussion. How do you want to do this there? Well, I I love that little um, that little bumper that we've got where uh, Jane Jane Plum talks about her theories. And I love hearing that first, and, and then we can certainly talk about, you know, sort of our scenes that we've got, and then get back to some bigger questions. All right, let me make sure. Did I put, I put that in post the last time, didn't I? I think so. Okay. That's fine. You can do it in post. Okay. It's all good. Yeah, so I think we just go jump into uh, the scenes that you've got and and take it from there. And then, you know, like I said, I'll I'll jump in along the way. But I don't want you to feel like you have to, you know, read every every bit of that. We'll do it, still still do it somewhat organically. Yeah. And I think we'll be good. Take off my glasses. I just can't see what I'm looking at. Yeah, so first we get that shot of Kolshak on an airplane being the annoying guy you don't want to hear talking out loud on his recorder. Uh, <laughs> he reminds me of those old people nowadays on their phone on speaker all the time. Um, but, you know, got that real then, – then all of a sudden, you know, you see the car. And I consulted uh, the expert, one of your your best pals, uh, Mr. Daryl Darnell, 
uh, for car advice, uh, mm. I, which ironically I messaged, I messaged Mark thinking, Hey, Mark might know what car this is. And, uh, and Mark said, uh, <laughs> he said, makes and models of cars like the engines inside are a complete mystery to me. While the kids were collecting and building model cars, I was building model monsters. <laughs> he said, every male Dewoodsiak is born with the ability to instinctively work on an engine and to make things grow in a garden as if, <laughs> as if it were exposed to radiation in a 50 science fiction movie. I can do neither. One more reason I occupied the position of family black sheep. Um, but so that I mean, Mark always has an elegant way of words, even when he, uh, he, he even, I mean, I thought I, I would just expect it. I, you know, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a car guy, but no Mark, the writer, of so- soliloquies that he is. I mean, I, I love it, man. I'll always love getting a response from Mark. But the car, the, uh, stu- the stewardess is driving at night is a Triumph TRX. Hmm. And uh, she ends up, of course, having a flat tire. A bad day for her, as Kolshak says, but it's about to get worse. Um, it, it gets worse, <laughs> but only in, in the fact that she, because um, I, was, I was keeping notes with this too, and I was really like, I was thinking of it as, all right, so what's the scene here with the first victim? And then eventually, what's the scene that we have where we get the first bit of information? And then I would just sort of roll to second victim, second part of information, first yes. time with the police cap and all that kind of stuff. But but she didn't get killed in this. No. All that we do is we see is the hands coming out of the ground, right? Yeah, but Kolshak made it. He really talked about it like it was she was going to be the first victim because I think he, I'm pretty sure he said something like, and her night is about to get worse or something. I think that was an editing choice. You think <laughs> I, so? I, I think that that narration was done before the actual scene, and either they decided they didn't like the way that she did get killed, or they just took her out. Um, you know, of doing it. That that's my feeling um, about it. I think there's a little bit of a little bit of movie magic going on there that that um, in, that has the incongruency that we're seeing. Yeah, and you talked about Jim the Swede. We get that flashback back to INS. Jim the Swede, uh, and he has to sneak in the back, back door. Uh, and, of course, you get another uptight joke, of course. Uh, you're being noisy, uptight. And the Swede Now, was was he being noisy or was he being nosy? No, did it? Oh, I might have mistyped that here. I'm not sure. Was, I'm not sure. Because I know he was, he wanted to. It was nosy. It was nosy. Yeah, he wanted to talk. know more about, um. Uh, you want to know more about television because that's what the Larry Stork character, the Swede, was going into, right? Yeah. It was TV instead of newspaper. Yeah, and then this this next scene almost got comedy gold of the week, but it's not my pick. It could be <laughs> your pick, though. But it was hilarious the way that Carl Coyley acts like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to go to, don't want to go to Los Angeles. Uh, and then, of course, up Doc selling, man, I, I've read articles. Oh, what'd you read? The Murdy book? The Harrison Lapata work, Sense of Self by Sidney Uvandi. I, I haven't heard of those other two. Uh, it'll suffice. It'll it'll get him by. It's, uh, you know, level, you know, entry level knowledge. I forget how what he say. Uh, it's something like that. And, and of course, no, you're doing it, Carl. And that's my orders. And uh, God, Vincenzo and, and Carl, chef's kiss. All their scenes, all their scenes, man. <laughs> perfect i feel kind of awkward seeing you do that but <laughs> you're you're right though that was really good played played very well 
by McGavin and, and Vincenzo. And, you know, and, and really the person who doesn't get a lot of credit a lot of time is Jack Greenwich for playing Updike and being such a good job, you know, being such a good character for them to play off of too. Um, it's really, it's really great to have those three guys work on things together. Um, I was gonna make some kind of other comment, but I can't. Oh, well, this, this again is, is my little theory I've got in the, the structure of the show is that sometimes, oftentimes when we see these scenes of Carl in the, uh, newsroom and he's getting the information about how he's going to get the story. We see Carl typically win, you know, when yeah. in, in whatever, like, you know, it's kind of like this. Um, there, there's a book out there in screenwriting called save the cat. And it's, it's a way for you to um, say that your character has done something in a way that they win. Um, when you save the cat, it's more like they do something heroic, but it's a way that they get the, the, um, audience to like them and bond with them. And I just really like the fact that they, it's not obvious that they do it like this, but I I love it every time they do, because I've never thought of it before. And now that we're getting into the show, I, I like to examine it that way as a nerd that I am. Oh yeah. And of course, at the end of that scene, Darren McGavin laughing when he does get that win priceless. I mean, there, there's no better. I don't know, man. There's something about Darren McGavin. Uh, I love that. And then a brutal vampire scene. That was a, was that just that that seemed even more brutal than anything that happened in the first Night Stalker movie. Like, it really did. Yeah, it really did. It's it's. I mean, it, it's kind of. It's like you think it's like almost. Um, appropriate for like a female out of control in the animal kingdom. You yeah. know, and just acting like a wildcat, so to speak, you know, or, or uh, some, something like that. It's not to be stereotypical, you know, and, and unkind to women and, and the way I described that. But I think that's what they were going for. And it's not as like brutal as a, as a man throwing someone around and beating them up. I mean, it was just like, you're, you know, like yes. an animal. And, and she's and she has the she has a lot of the mannerisms that uh scores and he had like the, the all she did was hiss the whole time so uh yeah did, yeah and this 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 will this will go to i'll jump in on this right now this is one of my fine points that i want to discuss and then the big thing but it's like i don't think yeah she ever you, you never hear her talk mm-hmm. you see you see the um the pimp at the um the, the sugar daddy that's there and, and offering her the job to become one of his fillies in his stable. And, but you never see her talk. Mm-hmm. You just see him talk. So you, you're kind of led to think that maybe she has a conversation, but I wonder, is she actually acting like a vampire and having control over these people? Yeah. And, oh, you know, geez. they're, yeah. they're thinking that they're hearing her or they're compelled to kind of like with scores and when he, makes the the car salesman guy um sell him the car at the lower price and you know the car salesman's like the way he looked at me you know i didn't want to disagree with him and i just gave it to him you know for he wants so we don't know if if scores and he actually ever talked in the conversation or not but it's a very bell lugosi type of thing it's just a you know entrant somebody with their eyes yeah. and then make them do your bidding yeah yeah i, I think you're 100 right on that because there is a link between female vampires and Especially female vampires, sort of more than male vampires, of like having, uh, I guess what they like in strength, which she's pretty strong. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong, but what what they you know, I guess they make up for in uh, 
that ability, you know, to be right. able to control. And the, and that's like the focus of a lot of the female vampires movies is their control over men, especially. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but we get Carl at the hotel. He slips the reaches in his pocket. You hear a little bit of, you hear change and you hear, you hear actually cold, hard dollar bills in there. Of course, he's going to bring, he's going to pull out the coins and give to the uh, bellhop who looks uh, less than uh, thrilled about that. Um, and then of course, as soon as he gets in, he has to go right back out once he hears something on the radio. And uh, there goes that story getting pushed a little further down the road. And, uh, of course, he he questions. He questions the guy. And come to find out the windows were taped with black tape from the inside. And just so happens that the sun rises between 5 and 5.30 in the morning, the time the individual supposedly died. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that they did that in... This is for fans of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and other movies have used this too. I think Ethan Hawke's movie um, that, this, that is about vampires, the name escapes me at this point. I know we talked about it with DeWizziak. and um, But yeah, they, there's a character in, in Buffy, Spike, who I remember drives around his car, and he has the blacked windows inside yeah. of it. And he has like maybe a little slit for him to be able to see out of when he drives, if it's, if it's during the daytime. Angel might have done the same thing. I don't recall if that was the case or not. But uh, I, I love that that comes from this show and, and you see it in other shows. We can't say there's direct links to any of that, but also going back to that scene when Carl mentions the different books that he knows about, at least the titles of yeah, and convinces Tony, he knows more about the things than Ron does. And Ron sort of, you know, loses in that scene. That reminded me a lot of goodwill hunting. And when we get that yeah. win situation, when, yeah, when uh, Matt Damon's character's at the bar and he rattles off all this stuff, you may think that you're going to quote yeah. this guy because you like his whatever, but it's not really good. And so you don't really know what you're talking about. And, of course, you've got uh, Casey Affleck saying, you know, my boy's wicked smart. So yeah. that it, it's I, I love all those types of things. And, and who knows, again, were these influences? I don't know. But it was done really early back in the 70s. And there was a you know a great scene for both of these things later on in time, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was Ben Affleck, wasn't it? No, I think he, Ben Ben is in it, but his brother Casey um, play, plays the other the the kind of skinny guy that they pick on a lot, and then oh, gets the ride in the gets the ride in the front seat at the very end of the movie. I had no idea that was his brother. Is oh yeah, brother? it's Casey. Wow, mm-hmm. and learn something new every day. So. Next, the uh, next go to commercial. We get the next scene, and uh, one uh, Carl comes to this house, you know, pulling up, and again referring back to uh, Mr. Daryl Darnell of uh, Golden Spiral Media. Uh, he is <laughs> Carl has got him a '73 Chevy Caprice, so that is the vehicle of choice here. Um, and he pulls up, you know, he looks like he's trying to get out quick, and uh, he's missed his guy, but he does run into people looking to. And this is such like a, a, a Maharishi sort of middle, you know, sort of Indian thing to like, you know, we bought, we rented this house, you know, we pretty much got it. We're going to sell it now, you know, or did they buy it outright or what did they do? Yeah, they bought it outright. And that's why the real estate person was there to sell it. Yeah. And so, they, yeah, they came in, bought it, and then, and then they just, just need to sell it back out. Uh, we don't need this house anymore. We're going to sell it. Like We're going to buy and sell it. Like what? For how long? Like a few days, maybe? 
Yeah, I don't know how long he was there. It wasn't very much. And yeah, so th- that again may be a little bit of a plot hole, you know, or at least a, a, an editing hole, so to speak, on how long he was there and should he really have, you know, bought and sold the house in that amount of time. But yeah, evidently he's like rolling in money because she yeah. was so upset that Carl, she thought Carl's from the IRS, not the yes. INS that yes. he was from. So, you know, may, maybe that's because he's raking in so much money. And I thought that I had no idea what an Owen. Owenophile was, which is a connoisseur of wines. Learn that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, yeah, that's I've he, never the, heard it mentioned that way either. Yeah, the one guy I talked about needing a place for his Romney contents and all that stuff. And uh, this house in L.A. is five hundred twenty-five thousand five hundred dollars. So, uh, buddy, that's a steal. Um, any, if anybody <laughs> can get that price nowadays, uh, <laughs> that is for sure. A great line by Carl. You should meet my boss. He would turn Buddha into his chain smoker. Um, but but this is that you talked about the IRS saying we get a play. We get a call back to that later, of course. Uh, and he may have missed his interview, but he got Faye there, didn't he? Faye Kruger. Interesting uh, last name. Yeah, I mean it makes everybody think of Freddie, you know, yeah. immediately when you hear that name. And I doubt that's where Freddie's name came from so to speak, but that's, that's pretty cool that it's like that. And, and Faye has a um, former history of wanting to be a writer and doing a little bit of writing. And Carl capitalizes on that pretty much immediately because she knows (laughs) some things about the, uh, about the guru. And uh, even though most of it is just about the plumbing of his house, (laughs) because she wants to, you know, the real estate agent who knows about it, but uh, Carl realizes he can get her to do his his work for him, and it just blows me away. This is another one of my my fine points of things, but blows me away how much he ignores what Tony wants him to do in this story, and and just chases after this other story, you know, to yeah. complete disregard for what he's going to do. I mean, he is his own worst enemy when it comes to this this particular story. Yeah, and he convinces her of course this is something that i don't think could ever happen nowadays just hey get in the car let's go back to my hotel room and with on just meeting meeting me you know just from this brief brief amount of time uh but my comedy gold here, here my comedy gold moment of the week happens right here and it's a throwaway little end scene one line and and some acting done by the uh by the uh what do you what do you, the, by the valet uh so he drops a her off at the hotel, he says, it's room 212. Start without me. Shuts the, She shuts the door. The valet shuts the door, and he looks at he looks at Kolshak. He looks at her, and he's just like, ooh. <laughs> like, I don't know why I left. I had to pause it. I was laughing so hard. I don't know why that got me. That just got me, though, just that one throwaway line that, what what is he thinking? What is that valet thinking? That <laughs> it's, it's funny you mention that because I, I noticed there was something going on there. But I missed that entirely. So I think you've you've picked on picked up on yet again like a little sexual, um, you know, suggestion uh, about this with the comedy of just start going there and start without me. God, that's what that's what you're alluding to, right? Yeah, God, have I become the sexual innuendo guy on this podcast? What well, at this moment you've you've found you know the thing about baloney, which I'd say you're probably right about and re-listening to it. And in this one, definitely. I mean, if you got a woman going up to a hotel room and he says, start without me. I mean, <laughs> and it's I a show. Is, 
So I think they could have sold it a little bit more to really get the look, but I bet the sensors wouldn't like it. Oh, so no, no. That may have been something they were just getting, getting away with. Um, so, of course, go to the crime scene, that canary yellow room. Uh, what, what did you think about that that whole thing of Kolshak just inter- interjecting himself, like acting like this is Las Vegas or, 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 or Chicago, like it's the people who know him, you know? He just like, he never holds back. You mean when it came to him like jumping on the phone and trying to call people and get information and that kind of stuff? Is that what you mean? I mean the scene where he where they're in the first crime scene and their their police oh. lieutenant is like yeah 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 dishing out info and he's just like giving them the business you know well, well that was I mean that was by far one of my favorite things that I've never noticed this until I watched it this time is you see he's already irritating the police lieutenant. And he leans over to a guy right next to him. You see it off camera. I mean, a little bit. It's not the center focus. So it's it's like off center. And he's leaning to the guy. And you can see him like pointing and saying things. And the guy like nods his head. And then all of a sudden that guy answers a question. And Carl's there just staring at him like really excited the way he's asking the question. So you know Carl fed him that question. I love that. I've never noticed that before. Yeah, I noticed that too, and uh, and he he's very uh, annoyed with him right away. They try to blame it on that what the dark star coven, uh, and thing. But and then finally he gets so annoyed at the end after all these questions, and I think he fed multiple people uh, questions. But he he does that he does that right at the end, and he's like, uh, "You with the hat? What paper do you work for?" And Kolshak responds, "The Manchester Guardian." Oh right. man, right, right. Man, I don't know. I thought that was hilarious. It was good. It was really good. And just for those of you who watch Notting Hill with Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts, he's in a scene where he has to impersonate being a reporter. And they ask him who he writes for, and he has no clue that any of this is happening because he's moved into, like, the only way he can see her is in a press junket. And he says he writes for Horse and Hound. And he has to ask her, were there any you know, horses or hounds in your movie. And she goes, well, it was set in space. So no, <laughs> such a good movie. Oh my God. You haven't seen that one. That's another you, I will give you permission to see Notting Hill before you see Moana, just to let you know. Wow. I'm so honored that you have given me that privilege uh, to do that. <laughs> just saying. You know, and something else that I love about the show, going to the the next uh, after the next commercial break, I love how they spell stuff like that. Like, and I know you've been there. I guess I, I'm assuming you have. I'm putting words in your mouth right now. But being somebody an English tutor and being around English or anybody, especially journalists, people are all the time like I'm asking to spell stuff. Like that's just the thing that, uh, like even stuff you should know. Probably sometimes you're like, hey, how do you, do you is this with this or this? But she just asks him some of the phase <laughs> magically. Is that with one L or two? And Kolchak two. Uh, is it, it's with the apostrophe before the S or after the S? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it was great. It shows that she is an inexperienced writer, you know, and he's still letting her write this. Where you know there really were standards by reporters to where they needed to know this stuff. You didn't want your editor to have to yeah. go back and fix your grammar, fix your spelling. You know, they were there mostly to approve the overall story. You were supposed to get it right from the beginning. 
And, uh, but you know, funny thing is I still remember, um, eighth grade, I tested in the 99th percentile of spelling ninth grade. I tested 35th. (laughs) (laughs) I, I had a huge plummet of my spelling skills. And, uh, and, and, and then pretty soon thereafter, I just looked everything up. So I just, I just gave up on memorizing. We had vocabulary. I would do what I had to do to pass those tests, but I never like committed spelling to memory. So even as an English teacher, it was a bear for me to do that for the short time that I did. Cause I always had to have stuff near me and make sure I spelled it right. Cause I wasn't going to bother memorizing it. Where were you at on diagramming sentences? What do you think about that? Oh, it's my favorite thing to do. Really? Honestly, I'm not even joking. Oh my gosh. No, it's very, it's very oh. scientific. So if you, yeah, if you look at that's the structure, like that. yeah, if you look at a structure of a sentence, um, and then the, just, uh, sending it's, I mean, seriously, man, putting the little lines in there to, to yeah. branch off of the subject and the adverb, you know, the adjectives that would describe yeah. it and the verbs <sighs> loved it. Now, they, I mean, they don't really do that anymore. People thought that was some sort of cruel joke, the, the, the kids. So they, you know, thought that's not a way to make them expressive and know how to just get their flow. Cause they'd have to like adhere to these, uh, you know, these rules. <sighs> I solely disagree with that. So sorely disagree with that. It's, I still think you need that free flowing type of writing, but at the same time, if you don't, if you can't analyze what you have, you're never going to make any sense. And, and quite frankly, yeah. most people stuff I read these days doesn't make much sense. Um, and it's not because they can't grant, you know, um, diagram, but anyway, thank you for answering me that. And tomorrow's lecture, we'll talk about <laughs> adverbs, kids. You know, somebody else who was very, who you really couldn't understand was uh, Carl as he wrapped the towel around the receiver and had a razor running in the background and, and just started talking about steak to Tony and burnt food, wherever. And man, God, whoever the writers of the episode, brilliant, man, brilliant. You don't have Tony there. So you're, you can only have Tony talk to Carl over phone. Mm-hmm. And so how do you play that up? How do you play that dynamic up to make it, the most impactful. And they did that throughout every time Tony calls Carl, all those scenes are great scenes and, and they're perfect. They're perfect. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was great here. What did you think about it? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm saying I'm, I'm like Mr. Structure boy. And I love it. Like as a writer, he's like, okay, well I gotta have the scene where Carl talks to Tony on the phone and we've already played it up that he tries to get away with stuff. So let's do a scene where he's got to get away with stuff and, you know, and, you know, having the razor there and yeah. making it you know, interfere with stuff. And, and, um, you know, it's just, I, it's, it's a, I, I still think the, the show is very artistic. Um, but I, I don't lose my appreciation of it by seeing the structure within it. And, uh, yeah, so I, I love every bit of it. Going back to your, your English, uh, he tells her to proofread it, and he knows this this story's bunk. He knows it's not very good. Uh, take out the nary and the offs and send it along the wire. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She she was like dropping herself back to the uh, 1800s, you know, so <laughs> yes. to speak, with, with yeah. the way that she was writing. It was pretty bad. Yeah, and a line that definitely wouldn't go over well nowadays. Hollywood, I was beginning. getting. I was beginning to see they do things strangely here, there. What can you expect from a city that erects a building to look like a stack of flapjacks and where some of the men dust their eyebrows with glitter? 
Mm-hmm. Probably, yep. probably wouldn't fly nowadays. No, um, not so much. Not so much. But that's, you know, that's, uh, well, you know, you probably remember Hollywood used to be called Holly Weird. I know a lot of people. That? I know some people who still call it that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, but interesting fact. Uh, this is my my baseball rant of the week. It's similar in in the same vein, but this is not baseball. Uh, the Flapjack building he was talking about was the Capitol Records building. Uh, that was la- that was the label famous for having the Beatles publishing rights. Uh, but just around this time, just to give you a little information of what's happening in 1974 with with and you know around this time period, 1974, 1975, uh, they weren't doing too bad. Even though the Beatles had broke up, of course, in '69, Pink Floyd's 1973 album "Dark Side of the Moon" was still on the charts, which it spent 950 weeks and counting it. Uh, other capital artists, including the Steve Miller Band and Grand Funk Railroad, enjoyed top uh, chart-topping success with albums and hit singles. The Beatles were still hanging around with their compilation albums of the Red and Blue, doing well. The former the former Beatles also each had top ten albums of their own as well. It was a good year for female vocalists on the label. Helen Reddy was the top female solo artist of the year, and Anne Murray scored a top ten hit with Danny's song. And the year 1975 broke gold albums for the Beach Boys, Glenn Campbell, Natalie Cole, George Harrison, Paul McCartney, and Wings, with one of my favorite albums, Band on the Run, Helen Reddy, and Linda Ronstadt. Other successful capital artists of the 1970s include David Bowie, Roseanne Cash, Bonnie, how do you say her name? Bonnie Raitt. Bonnie Raitt, Diana Ross, and Bob Seger, of course. So that's Capitol Records for you in a, a nice little. Do you, it's package. a nice list, Bradley. It's a nice list, but I'm curious. Yeah. How many of these people do you know particular songs of theirs? Like like Bonnie Raitt. Could you sing me a couple bars of one of her most famous songs? Uh, probably not. Probably not right offhand. Let's give them something to talk oh, about. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. She can play a slide guitar. I'm so amazing with those giant fingernails she has. It uh, blows me away how well how good she's at. Now and Helen Reddy. Do you know her song? No, I don't. It's I can't remember all the, the even the first couple of lyrics, but it's like, I am woman, hear me roar. Anyway, I'm sure everybody loves that. Yeah, I was more of a Glenn Campbell guy. Oh, hi everybody, I'm Glenn Campbell. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he did have his own show. Uh, <laughs> it was great. Oh yeah. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't know that the Beatles, um, you know, had publishing rights with Capitol. I mean, I always knew the Apple, um, you know, uh, I guess came out of Apple. But so did they buy the Beatles' rights after they broke up, or they had it while they were still a uh, band? So Apple was the UK publisher, and then Capitol yeah. ended up getting the American publishing rights. US oh, publishing okay, rights. that makes sense. Cool. But uh, I don't know. We could get in the whole thing about that because before the Beatles made it big, they actually had. We're on four or five different labels, and they had that's how they got like ten chart topping hits like there for a while because really? because the way it worked before they got big they sold some of their rights to a little publisher and then Capital got it somebody else got the rights but they all sort of released singles at the same time because they wanted to capitalize on it anyway Dude, long story you know short hey screw it let's just talk about the Beatles <laughs> I know I know it's one of your podcasts you like that's one of my podcasts yeah and um I knew this had to be a very setting up shot when he drives by and we see the huge cross on the hill uh after he, and he also sort of passes like a, a yellow car that looks sort of like his Mustang but it's not a Mustang 
But I'm thinking something's going to happen when that huge cross eventually, I know. Gotcha, gotcha. So where do we want to go with our various points here within the, the story? We've got the, the, he did the, um, he had the police um, uh, conference, let's say, where they gave all the information. And then, do we get, some, I guess we got the victims. I just remember the, the thing that I wanted to talk about was when he, you know, sets up and learns about Catherine Rollins and wants to have her come and be his um, escort for the night. And, and so he can actually try to kill her. And he learns that, that she works for the catering company through, yeah. um, through Faye Kruger. And then he, that's when he gives them a call and he talks to the pimp and he sets it up. And then, of course, he talks to the, the woman who actually comes instead of Faye and, and learns that, um, you know, she actually is a prostitute. And, and I guess maybe he already knew that. I'm not exactly sure. Where all yeah. That, I mean, if, yeah, if it's a woman coming to meet you in your room. <laughs> yeah. And, so. you know, and talking about that, you talked about he went and ran in the police lieutenant there in the room. And then he and he ran out of the guy outside of it who was the hotel manager or whatever. Yeah. Right. And that's that's when we, that right before that commercial breaks, when we get the we get that IRS joke again. Uh, Kolchak finds the manager and he says he's been in strict orders not to talk to the press. And Kolchak says, but I'm a part of INS. I said, oh, so oh, I'll tell you whatever you need to know. Calling back to that joke from earlier, the IRS joke, I think he also thought it was. Um, of course, Tony's incensed. Gets calls him after the commercial break, all that. We set up the next the next segment where he's like, yeah, the appointment at 8 o'clock. Because he can't, he can't get the uh, that 5 o'clock appointment. And why did he want to get it so early? Uh, isn't that when she, uh, I, I wonder, did he want to pour, pull a, uh, scores in and try to, that's when she's him? weakest. Yeah. Open yeah. So the, he's, uh, he's, we don't see anywhere where he knows this knowledge, you know, that he's gathered this like he did in, um, the first TV movie. So I think that's absolutely a throwback to knowing that this, this Carl knows that reality of, of that event that happened. Well, and, and he has the same exact bag. It looks sort of like a bowling bag. And if it's not the same bag, it's dang near close to the mm-hmm. same bag. Because it sort of has that bowling look, bowling bag look. Uh, but, yeah, he, he asks, and he says, Faye, I need, you, I need you to leave. Don't ask questions. Can I have your lipstick? She's like, is there is there something we need to talk about? And he's like, it's okay. I'll explain <laughs> later. And he draws the cross on the back of the door. Um, right. And that's when we have the, the meeting. The midnight interview, if you will, but it was actually, I guess, would be in midnight for us, I guess, technically, because uh, well, it happened at eight, eight o'clock California it. time. Yeah, this is true. Well, and that was a good scene, you know, where you you find out how much it costs for him to have her for the evening. Uh, she says it's two hundred dollars. Um, that's something I'm not really going to research, so I don't know <laughs> what's, what, what, what the standards are about that time and what it would be these days. So I'm just going to let that one slide. Um, not that I'm offended by it. That's part of the show, but I don't, I, mean, I wouldn't have a clue. Yeah. What that and, is. and he's, and he seems real caught off guard by her and she, and he's like, you're not Catherine. And she said, well, you're no, no Marcella. Mostriani, which that's a Mostriani. That's an Italian actor. Y'all can look him up. I've got a whole list of stuff here. I won't mention, right. but he right. famous Italian actor, two golden globes, three Oscars. Look him up if you need to. And she seems real upset. You know, 
Oh, she uses four pounds of pancake and rouge. And what does she have that I don't? Believe me, baby, you'd want you would not want to know. Correct. Um, and then you talked about the two hundred dollars, and she says, "Welcome to Hollywood, sailor." And they and then uh, the L.A. Rams star QB is about to get got. We find out uh, that when, with your scene, uh, if you want to talk about that, the scene where he confronts the pimp in the uh, in his uh, what would you call yeah. that? His his club. Well, I mean, it seems to me that they're in a casino. Or well, they're in Hollywood, like so I guess that. they're in a hotel, not a casino, but they're they're in a yeah, hotel. Yeah, yeah, And and the pimps there, and and uh, but it's very reminiscent of what I would think I would see in Vegas, just sort of like the big open space. You don't see slot machines or anything else like that, but it's it's just sort of seemed familiar to me in that that particular scene. But he confronts the the pimp, and uh, Carl's a tough guy. In this, I mean, the language that he uses when he, you know, the the pimp tries to get a little tough with him and says, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I can't remember exactly what he says about a lawyer, but Carl just jumps on him like, you're going to need a lawyer because you're going to be an accessory to murder now. Cough up the goods. You know, it was like he was, he was back into his Mike Hammer role. Yeah. I loved it. Yes. I loved it. I agree. You know, I didn't think about that. I didn't make that connection. But uh, do, when doing research for this, I watched a little bit of Mike Hammer. I watched a little bit of The Outsider. That was very Mike Hammer because Carl's out of his element, man. Like he's, and I think that's one of the, we'll talk about that in the episode rating later. I'll mention that. But he's not, he's not, he can't be, you know, Tony can't come and save him or, or, or do whatever. He He's a, a flight, or, flight or two away, depending on a, what if he gets a layover or not. So, I mean, he's here by himself in Los Angeles, and he's still going to, you know, put his foot on the throat of anybody he needs to and get whatever information he needs to, hypothetically, of course. Um, but, I mean, he, he's just all out there. He lays it all, th- all out there, and he and he goes, and he gets the information he needs, and he goes, and he confronts uh, he confronts her. Yep, yep. And, you know, and again, it's 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 like it's not even a question in his mind. You know, and yeah. I think Rich had talked about that, that in these in these days you weren't really invested in a guy in a in a TV show who would overthink what he's doing, and you yeah. got to see him overthink about it. He would have angst about overthinking, and you know that whole process. It was just the show, just boom, 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 go and do it, and uh, and it really works that way. The the speed of it, and you just see it happen, and you really don't question it. That, that he just no, does no. this. I mean, you're just used to after this being the fourth episode now, right? Um, you're used to him acting this way. And it's just kind of a given. Yeah. And uh, I mean, for, for Colshay, and he lays it all out online. Like here, he goes in and he, he thinks, okay, I think she's a vampire. So if my theory's right, this will work. And he, like, he doesn't second guess it. He goes in and she's throwing linemen around and all this stuff. And, uh, and he got, and he bought, she bought QB, but he puts those two iron pokers and he makes the cross and, and it affects her. And he didn't know that it was, I mean, I'm sure he had a, a good suspicion, but I mean, he just goes in there and does it just to be like, uh, you know, hopefully this works and, and it works, you know? Yeah. I love, I loved his action photography and these guys flying past yeah. him, smashing oh, through yes. wind- door windows and, yes. and, uh, and, you know, and he has to fall and get into that and, and, we don't really know for sure, but I think that was that was McGavin doing those stunts. Um, I would oh, imagine that was him. Yeah. It looked like him. They would show his face enough, you know, for you to think it was actually him. So, 
you know, and ironic enough, I didn't mention this, th- this show was so old that the Los Angeles Rams have since moved to St. Louis, won a Super Bowl, moved back to L.A., and lost another Super Bowl. So, like, that's how long ago this was. Like, if we'd have been watching this, like, 10, 15 years ago or something, be like, oh, man, this is so outdated. They're in St. Louis now, but now it's come full circle. They're back. Uh, you know, you know who was a famous broadcaster who used to be a coach of the Rams? Um, Bradford was it? Was that his name? He's a broadcaster, and he may have some video games in his name. Oh, uh, is it John Madden? John Madden used to coach the Rams. I just remember him with the Raiders. I think that's what I remember him with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Rams were early on. I'm trying to remember who the quarterback was. Uh, that he had when he was with the Rams, but I it's I was really young uh, when he had that team with the Rams. So we come back from the commercial break. Did did all of them linemen die? There were multiple chalk outlines. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And Carl talks about that with that police lieutenant, I believe. Like how many of them didn't make it? And he says something about you know talk to your your policeman about what happened and how she just tossed those guys yeah. around like like toys basically. And, uh, yeah. So I, I think they all did either from her biting them or just killing them by throwing them around. Yeah. Cause I don't think she bit them. I don't believe, but yeah, Cole gets in a back and forth and, uh, you know, he's like, women didn't do the, you know, a woman didn't do this. Like, Oh, what do you see? You know, are all women built like Veronica Lake and, uh, doing all this. <laughs> That's and a good line. Didn't know who Veronica Lake was. So I looked it up. Apparently she is a, an actress known for her femme fatale roles in stage and film in the 40s. Yes, yes. And and in a cartoon, Bradley, not Scooby-Doo, but oh. in, a, in, a, in a cartoon, there is some sort of reference to, I don't know if it's Daffy Duck or it's Bugs Bunny or it's just one of these travel log kind of cartoons where they're seeing the United States. You see a, something take a stop at Veronica Lake, and then you hear them do the... <laughs> when they yeah it, so it's a lake but it's shaped as a woman's body so anyway people people my age 55 and older will probably remember that no i used to watch a lot i'm, I'm sure i've seen that eventually we were actually watching a little bit of uh daffy duck today a lot mm-hmm. of the looney tunes gotcha um, but uh of course a shout out to amelia Earhart returning as a vampire like that i don't know this it, this seems like an outlandish conversation and it just keeps getting there until uh, one of the guys says, hey, call from Chicago. And, buddy, Darren McGavin's acting here where he, he does a – he looks, and he sort of looks surprised. He looks back, and he does a double take and looks even more surprised because he knows what's coming. Right. <laughs> Tony. Tony on the line. Lays down the law from the bed. Uh, he, he's, and, he, and he says it multiple ways, and he gives multiple reasons. Kolshak, if you – if you do this, if you don't comply, you're going to get fired. If you don't get me that story on transcendental meditation, you know, you're going to be knocking on window number one or something like that. You're uh, going to like window um, in the A line or yeah, something yeah, like that, which I guess is what you would refer to if you're in unemployment. Yeah. And then, of course, the captain's going to get him out of there. And if Mr. Kolshak won't get into the car... Uh, ham him with a tie and drag him. That, or, I'm sorry, that was that was even though he does this in the the film, so I'll say it this way: that's Lieutenant Mateo, not Captain. Did I say Captain? You I, did. I, I've been saying Lieutenant this whole time, but I, you have been. 
I, I messed it up. Uh, no, it's good because they make a point of that. I think they somebody calls him captain. Maybe maybe Carl, and then he says lieutenant. So okay, so here's something I didn't understand. A plot. I don't know if it's a necessarily a plot hole. So he said he needs to be on the first flight out at 6 a.m. Right? Correct. So he's coming in with the lot. Um, it was dark when he was there. But which defined there where in the the when he goes so, to her house eventually? No, no, no. It's dark when he is at this uh, quarterback's pad. Yes, yes. He's coming back to his hotel. It's the morning. Is it? I I didn't notice. It's daylight. So does he have to get out at six that day? Was it supposed to be? He said the next morning. So I don't know if he meant like. Hey, it's technically after 12. I don't know. That's me overanalyzing everything. So my sincerest apologies for that. But I, I don't know if you if you caught on something I did. I didn't. I di- didn't catch. I didn't notice the inconsistencies with that. Um, although it wouldn't surprise me if they were. I mean, he wanted. He didn't want to go. So he kept looking yeah. for other reasons. But then at the same time, he kept saying, "I've got to. I've got to make my plane." So he yeah. still had this this idea that he was trying to do whatever he could do and still make the plane. So, but then he spends uh, ten hours with Faye trying to search for this uh, this house. I guess it is. I mean, I, I know I remember distinctly they said they searched in the directory or something like that for three hours. I remember hearing that part of it um, to be able to find the house. So the so I, I never heard the ten hours part. Maybe I misheard that. He hundred percent. Yeah, I wrote it down. He said, because uh, that was like his his thing. It's like after ten hours, because just so it was so convenient that hey, I actually you know, working in real estate, you know, I know all this. Which that was a good plot point that they you know you talked about good writing that they set up from the beginning, uh, that comes full circle. And that's something this show does so good with that our IRS joke that comes back around. You know, a few a few scenes later. Uh, they, you know, hey, I've got who I need right here. Who this, you know, this failed journalist who that's just mostly a joke at this point to throw in there and to help me sort of put off my own work and be able to follow this. But she helps him after ten hours to find this, and they find a mansion, which is very fitting for a vampire. <laughs> right. And, right. And call, I, I don't I don't remember exactly what that mansion looked like. Um, it's, it's kind of like it all just blurred for me as many times as I saw it, because I kind of went in my mind just to the, the final scene with the, the flaming cross and all that kind of stuff. What do you remember about the mansion? It looks very, uh, it's it sort of got a, uh, have you ever seen, what, what was the, the, the man, like the little build, the mansion sort of look on the, one of the Led Zeppelin covers, you know, it's sort of got oh, the like rounded, the but it's like, uh. Yeah, yeah, sort of like that, but it looks sort of like that in mansion form, maybe, I guess. Because uh, it doesn't look like a, a, a medieval mansion, I guess, but it's not. It's more contemporary, I guess. More. Okay. Uh, uh, what's that word? Pueb- Pueblian? What is the uh, the uh, Spanish look? Um, you know what I'm trying to say, though. I don't do. You? I mean, I, I know Pueblo. Yeah, sort of um, like a. It's got that look to it, sort of. So that could be it. I think they, they have. They talk about things being adobe. Yes, um, sort of like that. Yeah. But uh, Carl's crawling around everywhere. I thought it was funny. He just falls one time. The intense music plays. He falls, and the music stops right before he falls. And he just falls down, sort of like, here's a little comedic jab in here. And he gets back up, and the music just started back. 
I thought right. that was funny. And he's never, Kolshak has never subtle about anything. He couldn't, he couldn't sneak, I don't know, he couldn't sneak his way out of a paper bag, man. I, I don't know. <laughs> like, he, he breaks four things. Like, he's, he break. like, I don't see how you do that. I, and I know it's a comedic thing, but it's, come on, Kolshak, come on. <laughs> come on. I'm going to start calling you Kolchak when you do stuff like that. Gosh. Jeff, Jeff Rice would still be okay if you did that. <laughs> oh man but he finds a hinged coffin that looks sort of it doesn't look like the coffin we saw in the in the movie it's like sort of looks like a sort of like the crate from a christmas carol uh christmas carol a christmas story you know it sort of looks more like a crate uh, right and not a and not a coffin uh, wouldn't that be funny if someone would superimpose like a major war oh. leg they'd like to just <laughs> pop out of there that would be a fun meme Oh uh, yeah. As, as we've been talking, I will say that I have looked up that very scene where he talks about how long he and Faye um, search for everything, and you were dead on the money. Ten straight hours on the phone. Oh yeah. How, uh, which, how I heard three, I have no idea, but yeah, definitely ten. I think it might have been mentioned somewhere. I don't. I don't know. Well, um, no. I mean, I've got the closed. Oh, captions. you've got the closed captions. So on. yeah. So I haven't been hearing it, but I, I, I see it in the closed captions. So. Yeah, and so I don't know what Kolchak's going for. He's going to climb up this, the side of the castle, but the windows have these bar cages, you know, has are caged. I don't know what he's trying to do. Um, but he almost falls off being an idiot. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. Hey, Kolchak, even if you get up there and you know she shining the flashlight in the windows, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I, th- there was times I'm thinking like, okay, man, I, this is this is getting a little. At least when he goes and finds scores and he he goes and he goes in the closet and meandered around, he's just looking in the building like, and there's curtains. You see him hitting the curtains like, what do you look? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I, I could I could ask questions about that all day. We're so gonna move do you on. Think, do you, do you think that that added tension to you that he's oh, sort of it, he's sort of like a bumbling idiot uh, when yes. he's doing this and he's not he's not he's not like a ninja, you know, and he's not being all stealthy. So I, I would assume it's all intentional. I mean, oh, you know, right? Yeah, this is definitely intentionally done because I thought I thought he was going to die falling off the side or he falls in that ditch like I talked about earlier just randomly. But the funny, it's so funny that the music just stopped when he fell in the ditch and then starts back up. The intense music stops like a Three Stooges skit, skit or something, you know. Um, but finally she attacks him after he climbs down. I don't know what he's doing, but she, she attacks him and... and he has his silver cross handy and he's, you know, puts it on her back and you see the smoke coming off her back. Yeah. Gr- great effect. And then Robert, tell me about that last scene, man. Just tell me what, tell me, just talk about it. <laughs> Bradley, I'm trying to, I'm drawing a blank, man. I like right now, I promise you I'm scrolling through and I'm looking at the movie as we're talking. I am just completely blank. Like I've seen this so many times. I watched it twice today and I don't, I can't tell you why. Maybe I got to start getting checked for Alzheimer's or something <laughs> like that. But I mean, I'm, I'm not getting it. So I'm watching him. I'm seeing you talk about the flashlight and shining it and everything. And it looks just comical and ridiculous yes. that, that he's doing it. And I've, I'm seeing the house and all that kind of stuff, but I'm sorry, man. I just don't even remember what happened. So I'm going to need you to keep leading the way. Well, somehow, and apparently why this, why this vampire buys, I want to, the only castle we got is right here. She said, I take it. But it's right down the hill from a huge cross landmark. Eh, well, that won't ever come back to play. 
so he call shack after like a, a Benny, Benny Hill. Like if you put Benny Hill music over it and sped up the, the, the little bit of her chasing him and him falling down some more, that'd be great. But he leads her up the hill and he has apparently already poured the gasoline. He lights the cross and he light, he also with the lights around her and he has done put gasoline and set it up where it goes behind her as well. And, I don't know what the lid on fire cross does, but she just starts writhing in pain on the ground. Yeah. So I mean, so I, think I, I don't know. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the, the cross has, um, just seeing the scene where he's burning her in the back with the, with the cross is pretty awesome. Um, yeah. I mean, I think in this particular show, the, the cross seems to have greater effect visually than I've seen typically in any other sort of vampire story. You know, usually it's kind of yeah. like the vampires just hiss and they don't like to see it, you know, and they, 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 in, in that, that type of thing, but usually it's not super effective, but maybe in this case, they decided that if you have a giant cross that's on flame, she can't avoid seeing it. I mean, to me, I'm watching this scene right now. It seems like maybe she's just incapacitated by it. And then because of it, she kind of Maybe. burns in the flames of, of that area. Does that seem like a, a root? No, she actually dies before she burns in the flames. I take it all back. I don't know, well, Bradley. Well, he, well, so I don't oh, know. He's going to drive the stake, isn't he? Yeah. And of course, as, as he's driving the stake, the lieutenant's coming up and they, that's a really good scene. Cause I don't know. You see like the, the, the backlight of the, he's sort of in, enshrouded in shadow oh, and he's, is. and he's just, Boom! He's, and and Darren McGavin does a really good job, even more than he did in the first movie, of just he rears back and it and it and he he gets full range like he's uh like he's Nolan Ryan or something pitching. He just gets his arm all the way back and he's just driving it and it and he does it so well and so convincingly, uh, just with that motion. Of course, it's so over exaggerated, but it works perfect for the scene. Perfect. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's great blocking. I mean, I'm just again watching. The, the policemen come in kind of in the shadow of the, I mean, they're there, the, the cross is burning in the background, so you don't see them super clearly. Yeah, and the way he takes a whack at that, but the expression on his face and yeah. on the lieutenant's face, and like the lieutenant is is somewhat shocked, but you think he's, he's actually playing, you did us a favor by doing this, but I'm still yes. shocked that you had to do it. And in the look on Carl is like, I did what I had to do. Like determination. Yeah, like, absolutely. There's no guilt. There's no remorse. There's no, I'm afraid what you're going to do to me. It's kind of like, this is what had to be done. So Carl's a, a, a BA yeah. of, the, of, the, of the best order in this one, right? Yeah, and this could have been a scene that I think that could have been, like it reminded me of like a Stephen King, like, uh, you know, Firestarter or something. Uh, something where you could just see it. And even without that dialogue, I'd, you don't need that dialogue there. The dialogue is perfect, and I know they have to do it because I do it every episode. But without, I didn't need his commentary. If I just saw that scene with him and him and the lieutenant having that understanding right there, I would have got it completely. Of course, in 1974, maybe you have to have that for the audience. I don't know. It's very it's very uh, Twilight Zone-esque. You know, it's, it's like Rod yeah. doing the intro and the outro. Um, for those stories and bookending it, I think it's it's very. Uh, I know you you become such a big student of Seinfeld, Bradley, that you'll know in the, <laughs> yeah. the beginning, the first couple seasons, Jerry is always still showing his stand-up act, 
Like they had to keep reminding everybody yeah. this is a famous stand-up comedian. He's funny. He does these jokes, and then he has his life. And and those shows would typically begin and end with his stand-up act. And maybe that's just what they have to do to show that Carl is a reporter. So he has to, you know, talk about being a reporter. Because honestly, yeah, he's kind of trying to get the story, but mostly he's just running around trying to irritate people <laughs> and, yeah. and and battle these things and figure it out. So you may lose a little bit of sight, you know, that he is a, a reporter and not just some sort of superhero detective. So pretty cool stuff. And it's funny that you mentioned Firestarter. Firestarter. I have no idea why I thought of this. I think for some reason I was thinking about um, Drew Barrymore and, and her production company and some movies that she had recently. I can't remember why exactly. But, you know, Drew Barrymore was the child that was in Firestarter. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's just funny that you mentioned that. And for somewhere in my head, I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool to have like a Firestarter 2? I actually like that movie quite a bit. Oh, it yeah. It was a good movie. Yeah. And it, but this is her now as an adult. And yeah. that would be kind of neat, I think. I know that would never happen, but I think uh, that would be kind of fun. No, yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. And I think there was actually, last week, I might have implanted that idea because uh, when we talked about Cole Shack, I believe there was someone in the cast and crew that actually was in Firestarter, I believe, in either last week's episode or the week before that's episode. Yeah, I, I think so, yeah. But, uh, you know, speaking of starting the fires, the man who started the fire car, Cole Shack, how about you play us out with your narration, Cole Shack? I'm sorry, say that again. Oh, I said, uh, speaking of fire starters, how about we man we uh, kick it over to the man who started the fire, Carl Kolshek, to play his uh, ending narration. Please do. Yes, thank you. Okay, and I'm gonna be playing that right now, and I don't really have it. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> what you meant to say is that you're welcome. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, man, th- <laughs> thanks for that, Carl. Um. So I guess it's time for our episode rating. It so, is. Robert, what do you got for your episode rating this week? Well, I have a little visual aid that um, we're not really, you know, um, still putting any of this on YouTube or anything else like that right now. But I give this one a strong eight. I'm going to hold up the book here. <laughs> Grave <laughs> Secrets by Mark Dewidziak. I, w- I would just want to rate it that way. It's it's Eight Grave Secrets by Mark Dewidziak, of which I've only read now, I think, just the first couple chapters. But I do have at least, I won't read uh, what, what he says, but Bradley, I do, of course, have a little little signed uh, copy Ooh, in wow. there from him. So that was nice to have that. And I know on the, the Facebook site, a lot of people were curious about how to get Mark's book and found out through... Um, uh, one of the guys that's on the sites, I'm not sure if he listens to our show or not. Andrew Kraft always puts a lot of really good things on um, the, the the Facebook Kolshak sites, and he had talked about how Moonstone sells uh, Mark's book, Grave Secrets. And I'm not exactly sure for how much, but of course Mark Mark sells it too to people for 20 bucks. All you got to do is know his uh, address, and I put that on the site. So your rating, please. <laughs> I would give this episode. Nine flapjacks out of ten. I thought that was a really good episode. Yeah. Y- you know, I noticed you rated this episode higher than uh than last. You rated this episode lower than the UFO episode. 
Yeah. Yeah. I really like the UFO episode. Wow. It is, it is one, it is one that I did not, uh, respect nearly enough. I mean, I always liked the scene with the zoo, um, zoologist who was doing the, uh, examination stuff. And I always liked the scene with Dick Van Patten, uh, when he's talking about the, the muck and as a Chicago Cubs fan who has a championship bat, um, with all the players on it, my wife's a huge Chicago Cubs fan. So we have the championship bat. We have the newspaper that came out from Chicago. You know, we know how to sing the, the go Cubs go song. And so I really enjoyed all of that stuff. And, um, and, and again, like I told you, man, I almost gave it a 10 as soon as I saw there was an actual spaceship. I mean, I didn't because I just completely like I, I say this in the Twilight Zone podcast. I'm Mr. Magoo my way through episodes sometimes. <laughs> like, duh, 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 I don't have a clue what I'm watching. And all of a sudden I realized, like, wait a minute, I missed that completely. And so, like, in this episode, you're asking me what happens at the end. I'm just like completely drawing a blank until I have to look at it. But, uh, yeah, I, I really like that episode before. This is a very good episode and it, it stands out, you know on its own, but I, I'm actually thinking of a few more episodes to come and, and then comparing it to what I already seen. And I think eight's a really good rating. I've got some that are way less than an eight. Um, really? That, oh yeah. That I have in the future and other people may, may have those or may not. Um, some that I think people love and I just hate. So uh, I'm not really sure how that'll end up going, but yeah, that's that that's the how I got my rating. Man, this was close to a perfect episode for me. Um, I really missed the scene, and I wish they would have, even though it would have been sort of a remake from the Night Stalker movie. I wanted to open up that bag and explain what stuff does. I don't know who he's going to explain it to though. Uh, yeah, that that seemed a little rushed. Um, that 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 interaction with Lieutenant Mateo. Um, seemed a little bit rushed the way he talked about it. And I think, but then again, he did that in um, the first TV movie. He did that with the zombie. I love that stuff. See, I do so, too. Yeah. Um, but I think it, it makes up in a lot of areas. Like I thought the ending, the, the huge flaming cross, the, I would say that's probably been the best ending we've gotten so far, as far as theatrics, I guess, and, and uh, staging and stuff. I thought that whole end scene was, was staged perfectly. Uh, and I love the setting in Los Angeles. Like it, it changes the dynamic so much. It's almost feels like a completely different show because you don't see the INS building, but you know, uh, the first, the first, uh, scene, True. um, it feels just so different. And I think that's sort of refreshing. Um, I do think that losing some of the stuff with Tony, I mean, the, the phone calls are great, but some of that personal interaction, you know, you just, you, you lose that, you know, um, so, so I bumped it to a nine, but it's still a really amazing episode. That's still an A. So, I mean, I didn't bump it much. I, I agree with all your comments. And honestly, I may, in a rewatch, like it even more. Um, and, and I never really paid that much attention of the way that he fumbled through investigating the house. And it's probably why I forgot a lot of it. And I think yeah. your, your attention to the detail on that, I could see how that would increase my enjoyment of it. So, yeah, I'll, and I don't mind, you know, I'm, I am easy to, to sway when it comes to my opinion about shows <laughs> and my ratings. So it, it does not, um, you know, I'm no professional reporter or critic, so I'm okay if I change stuff. And oh, yeah, I like that a lot. No, I don't. Who and I do? It doesn't, doesn't bother me. 
What's what's the comedian at now for you? The comedian for Twilight Zone. Yes. Um, with Jordan Peele. I gave I gave like in 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 the the end of season one I gave a big um re re rating of everything, and I never gave the comedian a ten. I still don't think it's a ten. I think it's really high up there as as a very good episode. But I think what Daryl and I said, and Dwidziak I think said it too, is that it's just a little too long. It just it, it spent too long trying to get across the point about some things. And um, so for that, I can't really give it a 10, but it's high up there, man. I really like yeah. it. So I got, I got us going down rabbit trails. I'm sorry uh, about that. That's fine. I love it. I love um, it. Which, I, noticed, before... I just noticed your uh, Cole Shack, uh, the Night Stalker post where you've got your boy Hiddleston in there. <laughs> I told you I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I put that in there earlier. That's um, awesome. But yeah, um, and th- and I know this is something Mark is not a fan of. I know. Do you remember when we, we had that conversation with Rich and he was talking about, you know, you could have a discussion about the top ten Cole Shack episodes and the top the bottom ten episodes, and then you could go from there and argue. Man, if we could have Mark and we could have Rich on, and we could all four hash out and figure out what the top ten, what the what the number one episode was, or the bottom episode was, just by starting ten and ten, and then. Five and five, three and three, two and two, and then going that way. I know Mark's not that guy. Mark definitely is like, I don't like putting definitive things. Like, you know what I mean? Sometimes I, he's maybe I don't know for sure. I don't he, know for sure. He always seems like because he he don't seem like I don't want to put a rating on things. He's more of like a you know do commentary and stuff on it. And he'll well yeah I know he did he did not want to denounce uh, Twilight. In, in our interview with him, because he said he did, he, you know, it's, it's something that he personally wasn't the show for him. And so he didn't want to like come across as it's it's a bad film just because he doesn't like it because it wasn't yeah. written for his age group, you know, and that kind of stuff. So but I don't know. I think he might be interested in that. And uh, and and I, I don't I don't think Rich is probably listening to us, Bradley. He just might be. But uh, Rich, if you are. Um, Mark is up for the four of us actually talking together. So I have yet to extend that to you. and <laughs> I need to do that. <laughs> but yeah, very, very recently, just a few days ago, Mark said he's up for uh, trying to get the four of us together. And I think that started with Rich um, saying as much as he did about uh, Mark and how he feels like he crossed paths with him. So I think we could probably set that up, Bradley. That would be really fun to do. Yeah, I think so too. And, uh, you know, speaking of Mark, we've talked a lot about vampires with Mark. Uh, so uh, unless you have something extra, I would recommend if you want to hear history and science behind that, uh, go see that episode. Did you have anything else to talk about of the history and science of it? We're all we're all good, brother. Yeah. So go watch that. Go listen to that three-hour interview. You heard that right. Three-hour interview with Mark Woodziak if you want to get that. Um, so I think before we get on skedaddle on out of here, I think we got a uh, my uh, movie picks of the week. The movie of the week. So my movie picks of the week, and I th- even threw uh, Robert a little bone in here. You'll get to later. Um, honorable mentions, though. Uh, van, this and, and my criteria was 
female vampire films. That was my criteria. Um, my honorable mentions, the velvet vampire from 1971. A lot of people say it's like a board. They're like, Oh, this don't seem like a vampire film, but it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I thought it was really well done. Follows a v- female vampire and sort of that's doesn't always act like vampires. So that's why I got it on honorable mentions. The fearless vampire killers from 67. Uh, I always thought that was really interesting. That has Sharon Tate in it is a Roman Polanski film. Uh, and it's got a real good ending to it. I won't spoil that if you want to watch it, but a very interesting ending. It's it, it was adapted into a, uh, I think it was adapted into a musical eventually. Uh, Vampire's Kiss, that was the one with Nicolas Cage where he gets bit or thinks he gets bit and he starts acting like a, of course, starts acting like a vampire or whatever. Uh, so <laughs> that's not necessarily a female, the female vampire bites him, so that's why I put in honorable mentions. But let's get to the real list. Uh, Robert, why don't you tell us about number five? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a female vampire, but it is a female vampire hunter. Yeah. And that, of course, would be Josh Whedon's uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And that uh, starred Christy Swanson, uh, Kiefer Sutherland's dad, Donald Sutherland, who is a very famous actor, um, was in... Some of the, I think he was in some of the Mission Impossibles. No, that was the other guy. That was um, Angelina Jolie's dad, uh, who was in the the Mission Impossibles. But yeah, uh, Donald Sutherland was in Animal House and other films, and he plays the the Giles character from the TV series. And uh, I I think that movie is great. Luke Perry's in it. David Arquette is in it. Um, a very very young um, uh, the Hilary Swank. Uh, is in it also. She plays one of the victims, and um, I, I love that movie. And it's it. There's a scene in it that they take almost almost verbatim from Salem's Lot uh, that they do with David Arquette's character, and uh, I, I think it holds up really well. It's it's a great fun movie, and I, I would highly highly recommend it. Yeah, and it was uh, in 1992, has a 36% on Rotten Tomatoes, but a lot of times Rotten Tomatoes, I don't know, it seems like some people like to just, you know, hate yeah. stuff just to hate stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah, I just don't think it, 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 it the Luke Perry stuff, with, oh, and Pee Wee Herman, have, now have you seen this one or not? I haven't, I haven't seen oh, it. Oh, good God, you gotta see it. Pee Wee Herman is hilarious, he plays a vampire, his death scene is so funny. And um, Rutger Hauer plays the main vampire, and he he oh, really? is hilarious. Rutger Hauer, of course, was in, um, you know, the so many different things that he was in, but he was the main bad guy, Roy Beatty, in um, Harrison Ford, and um, the uh, what you call the the android film. Oh, Blade, um, Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Yeah. Yeah, Rutger Hauer, an older Rutger Hauer. Is in that, but no, I think it's 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 not. It can't take it seriously, but at the same time, there were a couple scenes where Christy Swanson plays the vulnerability of the the Buffy character, and it is uh, almost identical, I think, to the roadmap that was established for um, Sarah Michelle Gellar um, when she yeah. played vulnerable in the TV series. So yeah, I, I would again highly recommend that movie. It's great. Well, thanks for that, Robert. Uh, I, I will probably, I'm going to tell you I'm going to watch it and then like my wife with Moana, probably never will. Probably never watch the Buffy. Oh. Go ahead. 
number four, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night 2014. It is at a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it's it's very interesting. It's a female directed. It is, and it's also the first Iranian vampire western. Uh, it's really an interesting take. Like it, it's it's really interesting movie. I think it won some awards at the Sundance Festival. I'm not not completely sure on that. Uh, but it, but it was it's so good. It's so interesting. It's it's a different concept, uh, and especially with the whole cultural aspect of the Middle Eastern culture. Yeah. Uh, def, definitely something I would say. Check out there. Where, where did you see this? How can somebody find this? Somebody like me? Uh, I think it's a pretty popular. Let's see. I can find it for you real quick. Probably you could probably rent it on. You can probably rent it wherever you want. You can just put it. I mean, I can always just you know look through Google and see if it's streamed somewhere or, or if it's on DVD, I guess, or something like that. Oh, you can watch it on uh, with Prime Video now with a premium subscription. So that's probably one of those channels that you. Oh, you want seven yeah. days free? Yeah, that yeah. bums me out. I have Prime Video, and I still sometimes have to pay for stuff, which yeah. just drives me nuts if that's the case. Um, number three, Vampiris Lesbos from 1970. It is 57% on Rotten Tomatoes. And this <laughs> this is the one that Mark said he didn't see. And it, it is borderline like an erotica film. Uh, but it is an adaptation of Bram Stoker's... What? What? what Go is ahead, so keep funny? talking. It's the, it's the one that's still just your response when Mark said, hadn't seen it. And you go, huh? okay. <laughs> I, just, I, can't, I can't not relive that every single time we talk about it. Uh, I think it's an adaptation of, I think it's Dracula's Guest or uh, something something of that, of that nature. But it, it's an interesting, it's probably the best of the, uh, you know, that whole lesbian vampire movie maybe thing so i had to choose one from that because that's like a huge genre i guess a genre stereotype uh and this one has an amazing soundtrack man listen listen a little bit of this tell me just... man, could you, couldn't you just jam to this Sorry guys, wait, 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 does it get does it pick up in the middle? Got a little fuzz guitar right there. Horns. God, that's that's just, actually just went somewhere between uh, a cool jazz club thing and porn. <laughs> just want to let you know with the what? music. That no, you were but, doing there. This is kind of like a 70s porn track. <laughs> it's like psychedelic rock, man. I love, I actually found it on a psychedelic rock. This was like with Jimi Hendrix and the Doors, and then it was this song. And I thought, what the heck is this song? This is pretty groovy, man. So I looked it up, and uh, that's where I found it. Um, anyway, I spent a lot of time on Vampires Lesbos. Uh, that I think Mark <laughs> told me he's going to watch that next week for me. Uh, no, he did <laughs> Mark didn't say that. Oh, oh good lord. Um, number two, From Dust Till Dawn, 1996. It's got a 62% on Rotten Tomatoes. Talk about a strange like film that goes one direction. The vampires are like not there until like just the, just the, the uh, switch flips. Uh, what do you think of uh, Selma Hayek in this? Well, Mark said he loved it. And, <laughs> and I think when I saw it originally, I thought it was pretty cool. And um, I, I was I was at a weird spot when it came to watching movies at that time, and I've never necessarily reversed from it. 
and and I had no problem with the the almost cartoonish um, vampire violence and the fight between them and Harvey Keitel yeah. in there and and um, you know the, those other actors, but it was weird, weird that that how much uh, Quentin Tarantino's character was such a bad guy, and you know George Clooney. Uh, was in there, and it, it just—it was almost like a tale of two movies. It hundred percent um, was to yeah. where it was like it was like way too much was invested in Tarantino and Clooney's relationship, and then to then not see that expressed completely within their battle of that scene. So I got like really nerdy and technical about why I didn't really get into it, but it was kind of like the violence and the intimidation and everything that came in, in Tarantino's character in the beginning when they're in the hotel room, that was really off. I mean, that was really upsetting to me and realistic. And I just, ugh, it just still to this day, it's, it's, I get a weird vibe thinking about it. But then the other side of it, the fighting and all the other stuff and the different vampires, Hey, that was, that was all fun. It was kind of neat. So if I could have had some sort of combination between the two, it almost would have made the movie more serious an extent. Maybe it didn't need that, but I don't know. What do you think about it? I really enjoyed it. Of course, Tarantino was like my favorite director there for a period of time. Uh, love Reservoir Dogs. I, I even go, I went and saw that one, what, I'll go see all his movies in theaters, went and saw uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, which that might tie in later. Uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I don't know if anybody will get that. Robert, you, just, you, uh, that? you just froze up there, but I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I won't say any more on that, uh, but you, anyway. So, uh, lastly, I might as well get my, but I, I love, love Tarantino, love Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction. Uh, what was that one? Hateful Eight, four hour movie, went and saw it, uh, but it's great. I loved it. Um, love Tarantino. I thought, I, I couldn't stand Hateful Eight. You didn't like Hateful I, Eight? I loved, I loved Jennifer Jason Lee's character. I thought she was great. And, um, I liked Kurt Russell. And, but then it just, yeah, there's just bits and pieces of, no, it's just, I, I think again, like I'm saying, I'm kind of at that age now where that kind of violence for some reason, it's just hard for me to watch. Yeah. Um, it, whatever it is about it, it was just a little too much realistic in a certain extent, but just a little too much. And other things that he's made, I just love, I mean, Jackie Brown love that. movie. Oh yeah. Jackie Brown. So uh, good. De Niro plays such a loser. In that, I mean, it's just bizarre how freaking good that is. And, um, yeah, Reservoir Dogs is so good. Pulp Fiction. Even his scene when he's in Pulp Fiction. And yeah. they're talking to Harvey Keitel. And he's just, you know, it's just so great. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I love a lot of that. But, no, hey, you know, uh, um, for everybody listening, I mean, Bradley has this amazing ability to know, seek, and, and talk about all these big lists of movies and all these recommendations. And he's seen a lot of them and we don't necessarily discuss these lists. And I don't look at what he talks about a lot of times. And I never tried to purposefully say, well, what about this one that you haven't seen? Or what about that? But it's just, I, you know, I'm older. I have seen various types of movies and films and one that I would have added to that list, possibly in your top oh, yeah. five is the hunger with David Bowie uh, Catherine Deneuve oh. uh, and Susan Sarandon. 
And uh, that one, I'm trying to get a date on that. That dates all the way back to 1983, believe yeah. it or not. That's one that even as a kid, I didn't necessarily watch. I didn't get it. I mean, 1983, I was only 17. So it was a little above my head. And honestly, I just haven't rewatched it since then. But I still think it's one that the critics really liked. And I don't think it was just because of the sex <laughs> that was in it. And the, the sex, let's just say the sexiness. Um. But my top movie is uh, Black Sunday from 1960. There's another movie called Black Sunday that some people from the Cole Shack, the Night Stalker, have been in from like 77. Uh, this is actually a vampire movie, an Italian vampire movie. Uh, it, it's shot really well. It's got a... At times, people hated... Like, I think the reception at the time was people didn't like the, the camera movement because it was very fluid. It was different. Uh, it's sort of avant-garde in a way, I guess, if you want to get technical or get fancy with it but uh it, it's a really good movie had a lot of gore uh so you know it was black and white so i mean the gore is not you know it's like a not living dead or something uh where it's done with like you know i don't know if what what the practical effects are there but a lot of people like even the new york times the people who reviewed it were like this is too gruesome to to watch but it is a vampire it is a female vampire movie that i would highly recommend if you can find it uh really enjoyable uh and it's very uh Trends, it's it's sort of, if you watch it, it's sort of like a progenitor to like vampire films of the, you know, you'll see, hey, this, this, this used parts of this or, and, and maybe it's not even a direct, it's sort of like, sort of how movies will sort of take stuff from other movies over time and it sort of gets passed along in the DNA of what a vampire film is. Uh, I'll definitely recommend it though. That's really cool. No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm taking notes on a lot of these films and, it's it's definitely been a while for me since I've tried to pursue other films because I don't really just stream and download stuff all that much. You know, I don't yeah. download, but I mean stream things. Um, I still was pretty old fashioned. I like to go to the red box and try to get something. But I mean, any more of these days, um, the titles <laughs> of the things that are in those those oh, red yeah, boxes yeah. and you know they're there at your your local supermarket. It's just like oh man. Maybe when I was 20, I would watch that, but you know, uh, certain things that are in there. So there's, there's nothing that's going to be like a good art house, um, vampire film. That's going to show up in one of those. You pretty much have to do that. I was going to look up something and Bradley, you may know about this, but I only found out about it. Um, last year, this thing called the criterion collection. Oh have yeah. Heard, have you heard about yeah. that? What do you, what uh, do you know about that? So basically what they do is they try to get, uh, they want to release like there was the Criterion, the the Godzilla, the Toa era, you know, Godzilla films. They've released a lot of those. Basically they want to take the films and make and present them, you know, in the best possible form for people. And I know they did a Hard Day's Night. I've got the Criterion collection of Hard Day's Night that they did. Uh, they did Monterey Pop, which was the uh, PA, uh, D.A. Pennebaker documentary that he did on the June 1967 festival that had Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, The Who, uh, Sly and the Family Stone, or no, it didn't Sly, not Sly and the Family Stones, but uh, Robbie Shankar was there. Just a bunch of different artists that came together, Mamas and the Papas, who helped put it on and closed the show. Uh, they sort of put hit that, like they they sort of collect stuff and try to put out the most material possible. Right, I was going to say, so it's it's not, I mean, it's, it's, it's essentially groupings of types of you know a collection of a type types of films like you might have some kurosawa films yeah um yeah. you know something something like that 
Um, and then you, I think in some cases you can pay a subscription to it. And I think it's somewhere around, I don't know what it is, like 180 bucks, 200 bucks or something like that per year. But then you have access to all these amazing, mm -hmm. amazing films. And then I guess you can also either rent DVDs or purchase them um, that are that are possible, right? Yeah, they still put out Blu-ray uh, releases. In fact, I think last weekend was at Barnes & Noble was 50% uh, off all Criterion Collection movies. Uh, and they wow. don't... And they don't necessarily release just like combinations and stuff. They also like the Hard Day's Night was pretty much they put a lot in you know behind the scenes stuff in there, uh, but it was just the Hard Day's Night movie mm. and nothing else. So they they just basically want to. Uh, I think they did like some Kubrick films like that. Like I think uh, uh, what's the uh, Larry uh, what what You're is the, about the Clockwork Orange? No, no, the, the Kubrick film, the uh, Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon, I've lost that in my brain. I think Barry Lyndon was one that was done in the Criterion Collection. Uh, but I think some places okay, like I don't know. Well, yeah. I didn't mean to get us off completely off track on it. Yeah, but sorry, I, just, sorry. I didn't. I, I heard about it. It sounded like some some really good films and, and a way to get access to things and to learn more. And if you're really into watching stuff and you, you feel like the, the majority of things that are even still streamed on Netflix and prime and Hulu and whatever else, if you want to go beyond that, then it seems like this criterion collection is certainly a way to do that, whether it's in groups or it's individual films or however it's presented. Uh, I think what I have said to myself is that um, once my Disney subscription runs out for the year and I've seen all the things I want to see for Disney um, that uh, I'm probably going to fork out some money for the Criterion Collection. At least they have that for a year. Oh yeah, we could always go halvesies on that and we could put it on the, the under the coal shack. Uh, hey, we'd, I don't know, we'd come up with some reason to, to blame it's it a business on business expense. Yeah, we could blame it on a business <laughs> because, because we of course are making lucrative cash right now with this podcast. As, as Rich Adam would say, it's the fire hose of cash. <laughs> yeah. Just shooting in your face. Hey, did we have anything else or, or did you want to Brother, I think we've said it all. We, this is actually probably going to be one of our longer episodes. Uh, but before we leave, let me read an email to you. And this comes from, uh, uh, what would you say, Jeffrey Coburn? Is that his Coburn, name? Coburn, uh-huh. Enjoyed the They Have Been, They Are, They Will Be installment. I think a Cole Shack convention is a great idea. Cole Con, Carl Con possibly, 2022 has a great ring to it. I was also amused by your idea of having a bunch of cosplayer. He says K-O-L, cosplayers, nice. doing a comedic military-style drill. I can see that happening as a sort of sidebar in a film that's not actually about Kolchak. Maybe the characters are at a Kolchak convention and one of them has to pose as a cosplayer. Now that I've said this, this sounds, uh, this sounds like the kind of thing they'd do in an episode of Psych. Anyway, here are some drill commands that might work. Fix bayonet. Pull wooden stake from bag. Ready. Hold stake pointing forward. Aim swing. Raise mallet and move and move to back for swing. Oh, it says aim. Sorry, the swing was under there. That's okay. Um, fire. Strike stake with mallet. Attention. Hold re hold recorder up and forward. Present arms. Hold up camera. Shoulder arms. Left shoulder. Hang camera slash recorder. Strap from his left shoulder. Remove cover. <laughs> Using right hand, remove hat and hold it over the chest to simulate humility. At ease, pull flask or white horse mini bottle from pocket and take a drink. Looking forward to the next episode. 
That's from nice. our buddy Jeff. Well, I'll tell you what, Jeff, if we ever get this shirt that we want to get and we figure out our merchandising and and uh, if there's going to be merchandising or if we just I just get the rights to put these things together, you got a shirt, brother. That's, that's awesome. And I know that, uh, yeah, I have um, personally exchanged uh, a couple comments back and forth with Jeff, and, and I, I think I hit that idea at one point, too, that I was thinking about those ideas. But I love that someone actually listened to the podcast and, and, and gave us things from the podcast in their, in their feedback. That is absolutely the point of what we want to have in there. So thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for that, Jeff. And I've talked with him about some other things. Uh, but yeah, he, he's always fun to talk to. And he's always very informative. And, and any information that he gives or any critiques he has of the podcast are always brought in a very, uh, very cordial way. And I, I really like that we can have that discussion in a cordial way. And that's what we want in the Shack community and really every community. But uh, not all fans are as graceful and, and perfect as Shack fans, right? No, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, there, there's not much trolling when it comes to the Cole Shack, and I think there are people who treat it as a sacred, you know, document, and and feel like, you know, the the to say that something's a particular type of hat, you know, and, and because it's referred to this way by so many people, I think we had some folks say that's not tr- technically a pork pie hat, and even though everybody calls it that, I mean, I really don't know. Um, what the difference is. And, and, and I think the, the thing to note is that there are a couple different styles that have been used. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, it, you know, people get on the site because they want to know more about the show and they ask questions. And I don't know if you're like this way with me, Bradley, um, than I am, but I, I see some of the questions and just to myself, I think, my gosh, that's an easy thing to answer. You know, I can't believe they're at, And I feel like it's almost like someone just baiting you know, conversation for people to chime in with all the things they, they say, but maybe not, you know, I, I don't think I knew all of this. This has been kind of a three to four year journey for me um, when it comes to all this and, and how much more uh, extra knowledge I've, I've found and put together in my head versus just what I knew when I was a kid and what I'd seen uh, later in life. So uh, it's very possible that a lot of people learn things from the site and they get a lot out of it and all the questions are genuine. And I just think it's awesome. And, uh, and we're thrilled to be a part of that as Shack's loop and in, other way, in, in any other way that happens. And if you think that a Kolshak, um convention is something you would be interested in, message us um, because it, it's, it's going to happen some way, shape or form. I don't care if it's 10 people and it's just a group of us running around Vegas. Um, that that can happen, and or or if it's you know a thousand people doing it, but we we do this because we want to commemorate the character Kolshak. We want to commemorate uh, Jeff Rice and his role in this. And again, we will eventually have something that we're going to do with some sort of a moral scholarship, either just through us or if it goes all the way to University of Nevada, Las Vegas. So thank you guys so much for listening to everything. And Bradley, thank you for being my co-host on this. And unless you got anything else, that's all I got, brother. You know, I, I said I said that we were all we were all good upstanding members and that there wasn't a lot of trolling and and then I checked on my my, my Tom Hiddleston post of him being cold. Did you just get trolled? Yeah, I was told <laughs> to go to bed. I'm drunk and maybe we should get Jackie Chan and Eddie Murphy next and uh, that that it was getting dumber with every post. So, oh, there poor Bradley. Hiddleston. Be careful. I still but... want you, Tom Hiddleston. Dang it! I'm glad you want him. Anyway, but 
Um, <laughs> I don't know. Well, this this thing's going off the rails again. So well, let's bring the train back on the tracks. Uh, uh, who's the guy in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? What was his name? Well, that was Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, I'm just, not, I'm not, I don't understand the reference to that. I was going to go straight to Ozzy. Oh, yeah, that would work, too. The rails on the crazy train. I don't know why Dick Van Dyke and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is the first thing I think of when change. You can find us. Uh, we've already said most of that, but we'll just say it again. Uh, all the socials are at Shack Sleep. Anywhere you find us, uh, Facebook's where we're most active. Definitely go check out the Facebook there. Uh, we've already went so long that the buffer music's already stopped running. And you can find us, uh, email us, colshacksleep at gmail.com, phone number 662-374-0778. Uh, Convention, like you said, Colshack, uh, Jeff Rice Scholarship. Man, there's so many possibilities. Thank you so much for this, Robert. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to join you. Uh, this has been a fun ride, and all these episodes have been solid so far. So uh, let's see. I don't know what the next, what's the next episode? Episode five. <laughs> uh, uh, um, I was going to see what it, it is. I think it may be one of the biggies. Oh, um, is it? I don't. I don't. It is myself. the werewolf. Uh, yeah, a minor biggie. Yeah, okay. there there are some great great dialogues and great scenes that are in that one that I definitely like it quite a bit. So yeah, it's a good one. So we'll see y'all with that next week. And for all things Colshack. <laughs> You can find us right here inside the loop. Oh, I don't know what I'm saying there.